Hey guys, welcome in for episode number nine of Sideline to Sideline. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jason Daly, joined by the best hair in podcasting, Travis Wells. Rav, how you feeling tonight? Good man. I got a I got a surprise for you. you ready? I'm ready. This episode is brought to you by Stamps.com. <laughs> it is, huh? Yeah. Why go to the post office when you need Stamps.com? Use the offer code S2S for free stamps and the weighing scale thing. All right. Uh huh. I thought, I thought if we had ads, it would sound better and so more people would listen. So that was the. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't we have to do that. I, we have to do that as a voiceover before <laughs> before we start the show. Oh, man, we got to sound like pros. GD. Hey, but. Hey, before we get into this, I'd like to have a moment of silence for the former United States of America men's national soccer team that uh, doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. I wish I could fart right now. (laughs) This week in the tip-off, Rav, we are going to discuss Joel Embiid's max contract extension with the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel got paid uh, this past week. Joel has a five-year contract extension worth $146.5 million, albeit with a few caveats to protect the 76ers in the case that he gets injured again. um, This is a 35-page contract and what (laughs) I would categorize as one of the most complicated contracts for an NBA player that I have ever heard of. Ever. Yep. Yes. So let me try my best to break down some of the complexities of this, and then I want to get your thoughts. So as I mentioned, it's a five-year, $146.5 million deal that should take him across or take him through the 2022-23 season. Now, the 76ers could waive Joel Embiid for a financial benefit if he loses uh, time, uh, 25 or more regular season games, or if he plays fewer than 1,650 minutes. And the caveat to the caveat is that the injury that would force him to miss that amount of time has to be contractually agreed upon. So basically, it would cover his previous injuries to his back and his feet. Yeah. No no new injury or nothing that was uh, not in his medical history. So um, well, I'm going to do my best here. So the way this would work is if he were to hit either one of those thresholds, um, they could waive him not this year, but beginning after next season, but he would still receive $84.2 million of his deal after 18-19, $98.2 million after 19-20, $113 million after 20-21, and $129 million after 21-22. So um, there's also another caveat in here that if he plays a minimum if he hit if he plays the minimum of 1650 regular season minutes for three consecutive seasons during the term of his contract 
or three out of the next four seasons that the Sixers that would uh, that's basically an escape clause, uh, and he, it would make the clauses for his injuries nil in his contract. So the 76ers would not be able to utilize that to to waive him. So in, hypothetically, he could miss the 1650 ben, uh, benchmark in any of the next four seasons. Uh, and still have the final two years of his five-year extension guaranteed. So with all of that said, all of the protections the Sixers have tried to put in there and and whatnot, it seems like this is uh, a contract that the 76ers intend on paying a large sum, if not all of it out, over the course of the four years regardless. So what are your thoughts on him getting paid and the thoughts on this contract? Pay the process daily. Pay the process. Oh, I know you're beating the drum, so continue. I am beating the hell out of this drum. Um, it's awesome. Well, here's the thing. So, on the contract side, first of all, um, kudos to the Sixers and Embiid and the, and the um, Player Association for working together to get a deal that actually has caveats that protects the team a little bit, but also protects the player. You know, typically you're stuck in an adrenal foil situation and uh, you get basically bent over a barrel with a terrible contract. So this is pretty uh, interesting and complex. Um, Another thing that's funny to me about the contract, though, is it doesn't cover new injuries. So let's say he, game one, blows out his knee, misses the whole year. They can't waive him because it's not an existing injury, correct? Correct. Yeah, to me, that's and you know this. So a lot of the guys, when you get hurt, maybe you, you know, you hurt your left leg. Okay. Well, then all of a sudden you put more stress on your right leg. Cause you're trying to, you know, take a little pressure off of it when you're playing hurt. And the next thing you know, you hurt another part of your body. Or you, your hips out of alignment. Little weird things like that happen all the time. So, you know, I, I understand they're limiting it to his feet and his back, which he seems to hurt a lot. Uh, but you're still kind of opening the door to get yourself screwed. Um, but beside the point, I love it. And the reason I love it is. They didn't have a choice. You know that if he becomes a restricted free agent or even a free agent, somebody's going to offer him the max, even if they're doing the Sean Marks move of offering them the max just to screw you over to you have to match it. So if you're the mm-hmm. Sixers and you don't offer him this contract, you're doing two things. One, you're alienating Joel Embiid because he's already, obviously, you've been preaching to him this whole time to trust the process, which means trust our decision-making, trust our rehab, trust our training, we'll get you there. And then now you're not going to offer him this contract. You're kind of showing him that you don't have the faith in him that he's put in you. And I think that oftentimes the relationship the players have with management is overlooked. And two, you're basically throwing away the best prospect you had out of all these drafts of tanking. I mean, you have to think his ceiling is higher than Simmons or Fultz. I mean, he's I know he only played 30 games, but that was a fun that was a fun month we had, and I, I think it was. He's, I, I just think that I get the point, I get the counter argument, but they were going to be in a position where somebody was going to pay him anyway. What do they have to lose? Because, like you said, if he hurts any of these other his footers back again, it, it, it's not a cap hit. I just think that there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to do it. Yeah, let me preface what I'm about to say with that I know that they had to do it, 
I know that they did not have a choice. They are in a position where, like you said, they you know trust the process, this and that. Um, you know, this is our this is our rebuilding block, and so on and so forth. So they've they've put themselves in this situation. They've been all in. They've asked for patience, asked for patience. Now they have to reward that patience um, for of fans. And mm-hmm. so they, they they had no choice. You're right about that. I, I understand that they had to give the guy the max extension. And if they didn't, like you said, somebody's going to. Um, but with all that said, I don't like it. And the reason why is we've talked about this before, but you're paying a guy that kind of money and you know you know up front that guy will never play a full season. He's not. He's brittle. Yeah, he will not play a full season. He might play 40 games. Um, you know, he might play, you know, maybe he'll play 50. Maybe he'll play 55. I don't see it, but maybe he will. Um, but you're, <laughs> you're, essentially, you're essentially paying a guy a max deal that's going to give you half the body of work. So it would be like... Mm-hmm. It would be like me paying you double what you make right now to work 20 hours a week. And um, I'm okay with that. (laughs) You're okay with it. And believe me, Joel is more than okay with it. Joel might blow his (laughs) knee out tonight. Joel might blow his knee out tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Joel might blow his knee out tonight after he drinks a few bottles of wine and falls down the stairs at his condo. So, um, but. I get it. I know they had to do it. They were in a corner. They had no choice. They can't abandon the process. Uh, no pun intended. And but at the same time, it's. I don't think it's going to end well for them. Um, you know, good on them for writing up a 35-page contract. <clears throat> Excuse me for writing up a 35-page contract that they tried to allow to protect them. But um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're okay with 30 to 40 games a season from the guy. You know, with 28, you know, a 30-minute game, uh, 30-minute limit per game. I don't know. Maybe that's what – they're good with that. And to them, that's worth $146 million. You know, that's that's fine, I guess. Um, but that's uh, that's all I got to say about that. Makes me want to puke to channel my Mike Gundy. You think – Okay, so there are, um, if you have league pass for playing right now, the Sixers are playing right now, and while you were talking, uh, Joel and B fell down, and I almost made a noise because it scared me, and I I can't imagine what it's like to um, uh, I can't imagine you, what it's like to be a coach. <laughs> if you're uh, if you're Brett Brown or whoever who, whoever's Philadelphia's GM, I can't think of his name right now, but if you're both of those Brian guys, Angelo? Brian Clansville, thank you. If you're one of those guys, how do you think you sleep at night? I mean, every time that the guy steps out on the court for practice, for a game, for a shoot-around, you're going to think he's going to land funny and hurt his back or, uh, you know, whatever, blow blow a knee out. I mean, the guy's Sam Jackson and unbreakable. Um, They might even have the same hair. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They do. They do. I I have to post that on the Twitter. (laughs) Oh, my God. So good. They do. That is a good point. um, Man, th- those guys, that. those guys are going to buy stock in Nexium this this season because their heartburn is going to be way up. 
Well, and just see what you think about this. So, but if you're asking me what I'd rather give <clears throat> Auto Porter the maximum extension or Embiid, I'd rather give it to Embiid just because I, I know he's an injury risk. He's probably going to get hurt. But Otto Porter is one of those guys that doesn't do anything. Contract year, he balls out. How many times have we seen that where this guy doesn't do anything, sucks a big cock his whole career, hits a contract year, and all of a sudden we pay him whatever we want to pay him, and then he goes back to being this, you know, the ninth man on the bench. Like, I just – Otto Porter is pretty much one-dimensional to give him that extension – I would much rather roll roll the dice on Noel and Beat. But hey, I'm a gambler, I guess. And around the association this week we're going to lead off by discussing the potential of the NBA to reseed teams in the playoffs one through sixteen as opposed to the current Western Conference, Eastern Conference format. So earlier this week, uh, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver did acknowledge publicly that the league will continue to look at the possibility of reseeding teams 1 through 16 in the playoffs, regardless of their conference affiliation. Uh, This comes on the heels of changes to the All-Star game earlier in the week, uh, in addition to NBA draft reform and rest reform. So you could say there's some sweeping changes already in the league and some potential more uh, changes down the road. Um, Silver had this to say about the potential of this happening, Rav. He said, in, in adding the extra week to the regular season this year, we will be able to eliminate completely four games in five nights. I think it's the first time in the history of the league we were able to do that. Plus, we have back-to-backs at an all-time low. If we took the existing format, the existing schedule, and then we seeded playoffs 1 through 16, we'd be adding additional travel, and you would have teams crisscrossing the country in the first round. So uh, I think Mm -hmm. that's a fair point. I think that's a fair point to make along with this. So what do you think uh, about the possibility of seeding teams 1 through 16? If we seed them 1 through 16, do we just get rid of the – we get rid of the conferences, right? What's the point of having them? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. That's an interesting well, idea. I, I don't know. I don't really like it, but I do, but I don't. I, I like the idea that you're getting the 16 best teams. That's fun. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea that we get one of the conferences. It just kind of seems, it just seems weird to me at that point. Uh Maybe they do need to rethink the playoffs. Maybe you could do something to where it's like um, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe there's like a play-in wild card kind of series, like a wild card series for the eight seed every year or a wild card series for like the seven and eight series or seed each year. I don't know, just something different. Maybe you keep the conferences, but you can do that. And it gives a team like, uh, you know, maybe like um, at the end of the year, like, you know, Indiana gets hot and, you put them up and they win the series. All of a sudden, they're the eighth seed. They might have had the tenth best conference record, but you know, you get, you get a team that's hot. They're young, a little more exciting than you know just a, a team backing into the playoffs um, that you've seen a hundred times, like Portland or something. I know they're in different conferences, but just for sake of argument, um, I don't know. I just, what do you think about it? Do you like it? You, 
your idea about a play-in uh, is very interesting. I never thought about that, but I really like that idea. Um, I I don't really like the idea of seeding teams one through sixteen, and the reason why. Um, although I do like the concept of getting the six the sixteen best teams, mm-hmm. I don't like it because I there's something special to me about having a conference versus a conference. So, you know, yeah. you get, you know, you have, you have, it's just the dynamic of it. You have the teams, uh, you know, one through eight in their conference. And um, you might have, you know, <laughs> you're going to in the East right now. It's, it stinks, but it's, it's kind of neat that five under 500 teams are sneaking in, sneaking into the playoffs <laughs> in the Eastern conference. And like, can yeah. you imagine one? Can you imagine one day? Like, here, okay, here's how I can encapsulate the what I like about it best for you. Can you imagine one day a team goes, you know, I don't know, thirty eight and uh, whatever it be, thirty eight and forty four or whatever it would be. They go under five hundred and then they make a run somehow to the Eastern Conference Finals. Or they, you know, can you can you just imagine that in your head and how? how cool it would be. Everybody would be rooting for them. And it yeah, would be everybody. like, you, you could, equ- you could equate it to, you know, a double digit seed making a run to the final four and then CWA. Yeah, that's what, that's what would be similar to. So I think the fact that that is possible right now, um, or for instance, the, um, like when the golden state warriors beat the Mavericks, you know, an eight over one, like that's, yeah, you know, that's really interesting to me. Um, so, I don't know, but you know how I am. I'm I'm the guy on 2K who tries to find the worst team and make them good and play with them. So, just to give you an <laughs> idea of where my head's at, well, something I wanted yeah, to ask I, you about it. Some, yeah. Something I wanted to ask you. What you were talking about a wild card. What What do you think about if they switched it from west and east to north and south, and they 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 divide the teams up that way? How do you what do you think about for a second how that changes the league a little bit, and do you think that balances out, and would that potentially be the answer? Are you trying to draw a line on the Mason Dixon line, Abraham Lincoln? Why not? We've done it before in this country. <laughs> yeah, worked out well for us. Um, yeah, that'd be cool, but like I'm trying to. I feel like the, the, the league is super north-heavy, so you'd have to – I'm trying to figure out where you draw the line. But then again, Memphis is in the west, and they're clearly in the east part of the country. Um, but that would be kind of cool if you did it that way. At least you completely change it up. Like, it's so unbalanced now. And, again, it comes in waves. You know how it is. East is good, and the west is good. And, you know, the west is so good, the east gets all the good draft picks, and then that's, eventually it flows back around, uh, theoretically. That's the idea of the lottery, which hasn't really been happening in the last five or six years. Uh, that's because you have dumb GMs in Washington, Eddie Granfield. But um, that would be kind of cool, actually. Well, what if you did um, – and another question for me, though, would be how do you pick – if you did the wild card thing, how do you pick the wild card? Do you just pick, um, you know, eight through – eight, nine, ten, eleven, and eleven plays eight, nine plays ten, winner of those two games is the seven and eight seed? Or I guess you have seven through ten. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. Do you do that? Do you do you make it cross conference? Do you make it like you know the eight plays the ten and the east and west, and then you you know 
then maybe you have like a Western Conference team as the eighth seed for the East. Is that too stupid? I don't know. I'm just trying to like think of something different than one through sixteen. Yeah, I do like the idea of a wild card. I think your first idea where you take the, you know, the seven and the eight, whatever. You know, so seven plays ten and eight plays nine, and then you see who gets in. Or you know, you could probably do something within the divisions in each conference somehow. Um, yeah, figure it out that way. You know, kind of like what baseball does, probably. But um, yeah, yeah, three divisions. Would it, would it be would it be worth doing every non-playoff team plays a wild card for the two seven and eight spots? Every team that doesn't make the playoffs, you have like a mini single elimination, almost like an NCAA tournament. You could do it like from a Thursday to a Tuesday. And you do like you know seven plates fifteen yada 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 all the way down, and that's your seven, that's your eight. It's possible, like a, or maybe maybe you could just do that for the eight seed. So you you seed one through seven, and then the eight seed is everybody else plays for the eight seed. Okay. But I don't know if they could do. I don't know if they could do that though. That it's it's in, you know hypothetically it's a good idea, but you're talking about making teams play a tournament and then go play a tournament. <laughs> so. Uh, I don't know, um, but probably a more of a, you know, a wild card kind of play in is more realistic. Um, but it's interesting to think about, um, the Pardon. idea of change. Yeah. The whole concept of, you know, seeding, reseeding teams. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting and, um, they've already made some interesting changes, so it'll be interesting to see where they go from there. Uh, the next topic, Rav, that we wanted to discuss was the annual survey of NBA GMs and what they predict will happen in the league this year. So uh, let me run through this, and I'll just kind of list off what their winners are, or what their picks are, I should say, in each category, and we'll we'll kind of overview this here. So... This year's predictions, the first prediction is which team will win the 2018 NBA Finals. Number one was Golden State. Duh. Number two, <laughs> number two was Cleveland. Uh, ranked the top four teams in the Eastern Conference. Hang on, this is confusing. <laughs> okay, I think they go... Man, this is so weird. Okay, I'm going to skip that. Players, who who will win the 2017-18 MVP? <laughs> uh, one, LeBron James. Two, Kevin Durant. Three, Kawhi Leonard. Four, James Harden. Five, Stephen Curry. If you were starting a franchise today could and could sign any player in the NBA, who would it be? Number one is Carl Anthony Towns. Two is Giannis yes. Antetokounmpo. Cats. Three is LeBron James. Four is Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> Interesting that I don't know. <laughs> so four is Kawhi. Four is Kawhi Leonard. Five is Kevin Durant. Which player forces opposing coaches to make the most adjustments? One is LeBron James. Two is Stephen Curry. Some guy named Stephen Curry. Three is Stephen James Curry? Harden. Stephen Curry. Three is James Hardon. Four is Russell Westbrook. Wait, hold on. What? 
On, All right. On the uh, also receiving votes, they put Draymond Green. Can you answer how does he make you make adjustments? He can't shoot. He, he's, I, he's a liability on offense. He's okay on offense. He just tries to get fouled. Defense, I guess. But, again, he's playing defense, so he's really only going to shut down one player. So, if you're, like, if you're the Thunder, um, it's about, like, playing with Andre Robeson on the court. And um, also, his name is Russell Westick. <laughs> James Hardon, Russell Westick. Um, yeah, I don't know what they're thinking about Draymond Green. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm seeing something else, but I would agree with what your <laughs> assessment is. Uh, next is which player is most likely to have a breakout season in 2017-18? Number one is Carl Anthony Towns. Okay. Tied for second, the Cats. Tied for second is Kristaps Porzingod and Miles Turner from Indiana Pacers. Very interesting there. Uh, four is Yusuf Nurkic, which I don't know. That really shocks me. I am going to stop and talk about that, but. I, the last number five is Andrew Wiggins. So, which player will have a breakout season? Cat, no pun intended. Two, Kristaps <laughs> and Miles Turner tied. Four, Yusuf Nurkic. Five, Andrew Wiggins. Is, am I missing something about Yusuf Nurkic? I mean, he's a good player. Man, I know he got traded to Portland, but I feel like, I don't know, maybe I missed something, but I feel like after the break or after the trade last year that, I mean, he had a good year, but... uh. I guess they did get rid of Plumlee, so maybe they're just thinking from a sheer volume standpoint. Yeah. Uh, but well, that surprises he, um, me. He said that his production went up because he was finally getting minutes. And, and I, mm. you could say that, but he was he was just like, again, he got buried in Denver behind Fareed and um, and um, and the I'm blanking on his name. Who's the guy that's that joke? Jesus. <laughs> Too many Jokic. foreigners. Yep. Um. So, you know, so you wonder, like, you know, I mean, he's been injured in the past. He's not as brittle as, as MB, but you kind of wonder, is he going to go back to where he just disappears in games like he did in Denver? Oh, that's interesting. Um, the other issue I have with this list is Towns, Porzingis, and Wiggins, have they not already broken out? That's what my question. Season? <laughs> that's my question. Like, how where else can these guys go type of thing? I, I, yeah. If you're going to – of all the guys that they that the GMs picked on this list, I'm gonna to have to go with Miles Turner. Um, yeah, that he's the guy that makes the most sense in my mind, and I like I like him a lot. So I, I'm really pissed that you got him in the fantasy draft. So okay. um, they also they also put Anthony Davis receive votes. He's a fucking all star. Yeah, but yeah. you know, sky's the limit. Um, <laughs> who who is the best point guard in the NBA? They voted one is Stephen Curry, two is Russell Westbrook, three is Chris Paul, and four is John Wall. No surprise there. Who is the best shooting guard in the NBA? One is James Harden, two is Clay Thompson. Who is Are the best small forward? Uh, that's it. We talked about this. Yeah, who, exactly. who, they, the other <laughs> shooting guards. Listen, look at the other two receiving votes. Paul George. Kawhi borderline shooting, borderline shooting guard. Kawhi Leonard, not a shooting guard, borderline. There are none in the NBA. Yeah. Um, well, who's the best? Who's the best small forward? Well, just for 
to support that, Kawhi Leonard is third on the best small forward. So who's the best small forward? One, LeBron James. Two, Kevin Durant. Three, Kawhi Leonard. Who's the best power forward? One, Anthony Davis. Two, LeBron James. Three, Kevin Durant. Is he a power forward? I guess so. Four, Carl Anthony Towns. Man, I guess, you know, positionless basketball. Who's the best center in the NBA? One, Carl Anthony Towns. Two, Anthony Davis. Three, Mark Gasol. Four, DeMarcus Cousins. And three cats. The real tra- three cats. And the real tragedy they got with, oh, my God. They have Draymond, Draymond Green is receiving votes. Like, what are we doing, guys? Whew. The real tragedy left off this list is Rudy Gobert from Utah. Mm. Um, nope. Now they move on hey, to – cool. What? I can't wait until – okay, so according to this, LeBron is the best small forward and second-best power forward in the NBA. And then LeBron – I mean, Anthony Davis is the best power forward and second-best center. Uh, I can't wait until LeBron retires. And then um, Kawhi Leonard is the best small forward and the best two-guard in the league. I'm really excited for that. <laughs> That's no sense. I don't understand. Boggles. We're, we're missing something. My um, mind is completely bottled. It's in a bottle right it now. It is. Maybe one of our 40 listeners will tweet at us and tell us what we're missing. Um, which team made the – Which team made the? Or they move on to the offseason now. So which team made the best overall moves this season? One, Oklahoma City. That's pretty obvious. Two is Boston. Three is <laughs> Minnesota. Four is Houston. Five is Golden State. Which one player acquisition will make the biggest impact? One is Paul George. Two is Jimmy Butler. Three is Chris Paul. And four is Kyrie Irving. Um, I hate Chris Paul. God. That's a really interesting category. So they're saying Paul George is going to make the biggest impact. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Who do do you think out of Paul George, Jimmy the Butler, and Chris Paul and Kyrie Irving? uh, Does the impact have to be positive? It does not specify. Good. Well, then I would go with Butler or Paul. Butler is – I like – okay, what I like about Butler is he's going to come in, play with with, uh, with Tibbs before, so he'll be able to, you know, again, it was the first year of Tibbs in Minnesota. We thought they would do better than they did. They didn't really play defense. They're really young. Now they have a vet that can show them with some respect and that, and that they bring some collateral with them. They can show them the Tibbs system, show them why it works, show them why it's worth buying in. But also, he's an alpha dog, and every team he's there on has had chemistry issues. So that could be a complete shit show. So that's definitely going to be a huge impact. And you can say the same thing for Chris Paul, who I think if they put who's the hardest player to play with in the NBA, him or LeBron would be one, too. Um, I don't understand. What do you do with Chris Paul and James Harden? That's a different question. But, I mean, if you stagger their minutes, you always have an all-star on the court between him and Harden, but they're, you know, crunch time, they're out there together. And, you know, what's mm-hmm. going to happen when the game's on the line, like, taking the game's on the line, you get the ball to Harden because he can get to the foul line, and that's, you know, that's much better than Chris Paul doing whatever the hell he's going to do. But I just, I, I think those two will make the biggest impact, but not necessarily in a positive way. That's interesting. And yeah, I never really thought about it that way, but um, I could see all that. Uh, the next question is, what was the most underrated player acquisition? One was Paul Millsap. I probably would agree with that. Two, two is Avery yeah. Bradley. 
tied for third is Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder. And then tied for fifth, Bogdan Bogdanovich and Rudy Gay. Kings. Kings. Uh, so this I like the P.J. Tucker signing. It. You like the P.J. Tucker signing? Um, yeah, I can't say P.J. Tucker moves the needle for me. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> he's burned me too many times in fantasy. Um, which team will be the most improved in 2017-18? So this kind of ties in what we were talking about a minute ago. Number one, Minnesota, overwhelmingly, 69% of the vote from GMs. And second, <laughs> sec- <laughs> second was Philadelphia. Uh, what was the most surprising move of the offseason? One, the Boston-Cleveland trade. Two, Paul George to Oklahoma City. And three, Chris Paul to Houston. And then the next category here is rookies and international players. Who will win the 2017-18 Rookie of the Year? Number one, Lonzo Ball, overwhelmingly, 62%. I hate it. Two, Ben Simmons, your pick. Three, Dennis Smith Jr. I wish I would have uh, maybe picked him. But the guy that I, I'm changing my pick, I know I said whoever I said, uh, Markel Fultz. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> I'm changing my pick. Rookie of the Year. You're going to love it. De'Aaron Fox. From the Sacramento cats, Queens. Cats, cats. Cats. And Sacramento <laughs> Queens. Uh, which rookie? Start. Uh, not against De'Aaron Fox. He's not, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> which rookie will be the best player in five years? Number one, Josh Jackson. Tied for second, Markel Fultz and Jason Tatum. Tied for fourth, Lonzo Ball and Benjamin Simmons. Which rookie was the biggest steal at where he was selected in the draft? Number one, Dennis Smith. Two, Kyle Kuzma. Three, Donovan Mitchell. Damn right. Actually, he's tied at third with <laughs> Caleb Swanigan. Who's the best international player in the NBA? Number one, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Overwhelmingly, That's not even a question. 60- no, overwhelmingly 69%. Two is Nikola Jokic. From Denver, three is Mark Gasol, four is Kristaps Porzingis. That's a pretty good list. Who's the best international yeah, player not? Yeah, who's the best international player not in the NBA? Number one, overwhelmingly, Luka Doncic, sixty-nine percent. This is amazing, by the way. Number two on this list, best international <laughs> player not in the NBA, Nando DeColo, who had a cup of yeah. coffee in the league with the Raptors a while back, and maybe even the Spurs. Mm-hmm. I can't he remember. Spurs. Spurs. Maybe I traded for him on the Raptors. Whatever. Um, Doesn't matter. <laughs> three, Alexei Shved. That surprises me. Last year, it was your yeah. guy, Milos Teodosic, who I had for 2.5 seconds in the fantasy league. Sorry. I thought long. you dropped him. <clears throat> um, who's the best defensive player in the NBA? So they're moving on to defense. Who's the best defensive player in the NBA? One, overwhelmingly, Kawhi Leonard, 62%. Two, Draymond Green. And three, the guy who really should have won or been voted, Rudy Gobert from Utah. <laughs> who, who's the best perimeter defender in the NBA? One, overwhelmingly, Kawhi Leonard. Two, Avery Bradley. Who's the best interior defender in the NBA? Number one, overwhelmingly, Rudy Gobert. And two, DeAndre Jordan. Now we're talking. Which is the best defensive team in the NBA? This surprises me a little bit, but I get it. Um, Number one, Golden State, 55%. Two, San Antonio, 
three, Utah. Now we're talking. Four, Oklahoma City. That's Shitty. bullshit. I, I don't know, man. That really shocks me. I would probably have Oklahoma gone with City? San Antonio. Yeah, I, yeah uh, Oklahoma I Shitty. I don't know. I guess Golden uh, well, State. Golden, yeah, they can switch everything, though. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what they've got going for them. So I mean, they're great. Don't get me wrong. Um, who's the best head coach in the NBA? Number one, overwhelmingly, yeah. Greg Popovich, eighty-two percent, and number two, Steve Kerr, eleven percent. Which head coach is the best manager and motivator of people? One is Pop. Two is Steve Kerr. Three is Eric Spolstra. Surprises me. Next, you which head coach makes? You damn right he did. What is the, which head coach makes the best in-game adjustments? One, Rick Carlisle does not surprise me. Two, Brad Stevens. Three is Pop. Four is it surprised me that Stevens no. is ahead of Pop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Four, Stan Van Gundy make a fucking wall. Five. That's his best Mike, in-game adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> Five is Mike Budenholzer. Uh, I always want to call him Mike Budweiser. I wonder, but he gets that a lot. Um, which head coach runs the best offense? One is Steve Kerr. The two is that Mike easy. D'Antoni. I can run the best offense there. <laughs> two is Mike D'Antoni. Three is Brad Stevens. Which head coach has the best defensive schemes? One is Pop. Two is Thibs. Three is Steve. Or, well, three-way tie for third place. Steve Kerr, Quinn Snyder. Now we're talking. Eric Spolstra. Oh, yeah. Six. By default is Brad Stevens, who is the best assistant coach in the NBA. I don't know who any of these fucking people are. I, I, I don't know until they're uh, head coaches like the rest of the world. They're chipping uh, one is Ron Adams from Golden State. Two is Atore Messina from San Antonio. Three is Mike Brown from Golden State. So two assistant. Wow. Okay. David Vanderpool from Portland. He sounds like he needs to be coaching. Uh, Premier League soccer team. Who's the guy uh, coaching Utah right there? Igor Kokoskov. How about coaching Igor. Premier League? I don't know, man. I, I yeah. Holy shit, Darvin Ham. Alex Alex Jensen. I know him. Uh, which active player will make the best head coach someday? Chris Paul, number one, two, Manu Ginobili, tied for third. Stephen Curry and Garrett Temple. <laughs> <laughs> No, look at receiving uh, votes. Devin Booker. Why? He's oh my god. This is okay. Whatever, guys. Uh which team <laughs> this is a long list. I'm sorry guys. Which team is the most fun to watch? One, Golden State, uh, two, Houston, uh, three, Denver. The which fuck team is, is the best oh, God, they're not on anywhere on this list for any category. Which team has the best home court advantage? One, Golden State. Tied for second, Oklahoma City and San Antonio. Which player is the most athletic? One, Russell Westbrook. Two, LeBron James. I mean, Russell Westbrook had 62% of the vote. Two is LeBron James. Three is Zach Levine. Which player is the best pure shooter? One, Stephen Curry. Two, Clay Thompson. Three, Three, Devin Booker. Which player is the fastest with the ball? Number one is John Wall. Two is Russell Westbrook. Which player is best at moving without the ball? One is Clay Thompson. Two is J.J. Redick. Three, top for third, Stephen Curry and Cal Corver. Which player is the best passer? One, LeBron James. 
two, Chris Paul. Interesting. Yeah. Th- two, Chris Paul. Tie for three way tie for third. James Harden, Ricky Rubio. Now we're talking. And John Wall. And then. It's got to be Rubio and Theodosis. You can't be an American. It's, it's always a it foreigner. Be, yeah. <laughs> what bench player makes the biggest impact when he enters the game? One, Andre Easy. Iguodala. Two, yeah. Two, Eric Gordon. Three, Jamal Crawford. Four, Lou Williams. Why do people vote toughest? for Manu? I don't He's know. dead. Why dead? Enos Cantor made the list. Text Kevin. Mm. Who is the toughest player in the NBA? One tie, Three-way tie for first. Steven Adams. Draymond Green. Kawhi Leonard. There you go. Four, mm. LeBron James. Four is ah. LeBron James. And five is Tony. Tied for fifth is Tony Allen and Russell Westbrook. Which player is the best leader? Number one, LeBron James. Two, Chris Paul. Three, Stephen Curry. Four, Mike Conley. Who is like the most Mike versatile? Conley. I do too. Who is the most versatile player in the NBA? LeBron James. Tied for second, Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard. Fourth, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Fifth, Draymond Green. Which player has the best basketball IQ? Number one, LeBron James, <laughs> overwhelmingly. Two, Chris Paul. Three, Stephen Curry. Which player would you want taking a shot with the game on the line? One, Stephen uh, Curry. R- real stretch. Two, Kevin Durant. Three, Kyrie stretch. Irving. Four, four, LeBron James. LeBron what rule? He cannot. Here's here's the here's the last question on the survey. We'll we'll leave around the association on this note. What rule regarding play? Draft or lottery, playoff format, etc. Most needs to change. Number one, I'm going to list the percentages on each of these to paint a picture here, and you can make a comment if you want. Number one, playoff seating, 27% of the vote. Two, draft lottery odds and draft lottery system, 21% of the vote. Three, the draft combine, timing, medical testing, etc. 11% of the vote. And number four, advanced uh, advance the ball rule, 7%. I do like – I like the receiving votes. I like adopting the FIBA goaltending. That would be interesting. And they need to fix the fouls on the jump shots that people kick around. Over. This week in the College Corner, we have two topics we would like to discuss. The first topic is the formation of a commission on college basketball by NCAA President Mark Emmert. President Emmert released a statement today stating that the NCAA Board of Governors, in I'm sorry, that he had secured an endorsement from the NCAA Board of Governors and the Division I Board of Directors to form a commission on college basketball which Dr. Condoleezza Rice has agreed to chair. And they will be examining critical aspects of the college basketball system that Mark Emmert states is, quote, clearly not working. Uh, The commission will be composed of leaders from higher education, college sports, government, and the business world, as well as some accomplished former student-athletes. The commission will focus specifically on three areas. Number one, the relationship of the NCAA national office, member institutions, student-athletes, and coaches with outside entities to include apparel companies, non-scholastic basketball, which 
I would assume means AAU agents mm-hmm. or advisors. <clears throat> and the second thing that we'll specifically examine is the NCAA's relationship with the NBA and the challenging effect of the NBA's so-called one-and-done rule, uh, including how the NCAA can change its own eligibility rules to address that dynamic. The last specific focus of this commission is to create the right relationship between the universities and colleges of the NCAA and its national office to promote transparency and accountability The commission will be asked to evaluate whether the appropriate degree of authority is vested in the current enforcement and eligibility processes. What do you you think about this? It's an interesting response, but I don't think it will fix anything. I find myself fascinated with the people on the board. Um, Some of it makes sense. Like, you know, John Thompson III carries a lot of weight. David Robinson, love it. I love the admiral. The admiral. David Robinson. There are people I don't understand. Like Mike Montgomery's on this board. He's a fucking terrible coach, and he's on the board. Great. So what is he supposed to do? Tell you like where to cheat at? Cause he did it. Um, Joe Grant Hill was a part owner of Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I feel like I did know that. I had that tucked away. Then they have a uh, Jeremy Foley, who used to be a wrestler, but now he's AD at Florida Atlantic. So it's a pretty interesting. Um, committee but I mean I like I like the response I feel like if that's what you're doing if you're in a situation like this this is something that you would want to do you know if you're in charge you form a committee you research it you get all the information I think the formation of the committee really shows you that they I mean I think it's silly to say they didn't know that the stuff was going on but I think it shows you they don't they don't know what to do and this is a way for them to at least try to get some information. I think it's a smart move for them. It saves a little bit of face. But at the end of the day, you know, aside from changing the one-and-done rule, I'm not sure what they'll do. I'm not sure what they can do. Yeah, so they this commission begins working in November and is supposed to deliver recommendations on policy, legislative, or structural changes to the boards for action at their April meetings uh, of 2018. I think that I agree with what you said. They they did this now because they had to do something now, and this is all that they can do in the short term. Uh, you know, beyond beyond this, uh, they're going to you know launch investigations. I'm sure at the different institutions that are implicated in the FBI investigation and U.S. Attorney's Office investigation. And I think that's where the real um, information will be had. Uh, I think that the NCAA, this is all well and good, but this probably won't lead to a whole lot of anything, um, Mm -hmm. to be honest. And I think it's going to continue to take – law enforcement uh, investigations to – stimulate or jumpstart any real changes in college basketball or college athletics in general. Yeah, I wonder if it's just we see a bunch of superfluous changes that change things on the surface and the average observer of college basketball thinks everything's fixed and they go away. Like these people, it's like a cartel. You got off ahead, another one goes back. I mean, if you to fix the problem, you're going to have to fix the institution as a whole and fix the model as a whole. 
in a committee that meets from November to April, is it going to be able to do that? That's it's not enough time to make a change like that. You're going to have to, I mean, you have to, you're going to have to change everything. And they, regardless of what they identify or find, we may never know it all. I mean, I just don't see it. They can make all the rules they want to make. People are still going to be shady and do what they want. And, I mean, I think they need to open their eyes. This can't be the only sport that's happening in, i.e., seven-on-seven football. It's almost just like AAU basketball. I mean, seriously, like, look up seven-on-seven football. There's mm-hmm. a lot of weird stuff yeah, going on with that. Yeah, yeah, and look at baseball, like all these showcase camps. Um, like, when we were in high school, they had showcase camps all the time for all these kids. You can't tell me some of them aren't getting – I'm not saying that, you know, New Balance is coming down saying, hey, go play baseball at Coastal Carolina and I'll hook you up and you get drafted. But that's not to say that some guys are saying, hey, here's 10 grand, come to Texas. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're not even talking about that aspect of it. We're just talking about the shoe companies giving people money. We're not even talking about just how in every other sport there's inappropriate stuff going on all the time or how these, like, there's, like, programs that will do, like, these one-off tournaments that are supposed to be invite-only. They're open tournaments, quote-unquote open, so mm-hmm. they're legal. But then they'll send out invites. So you only kind of mm-hmm. have the open tournament if you get an invite. That's a violation because then you're, you're specifying athletes, JUCO or high school level, to come to your campus. So there's stuff that happens a lot that they just turn their eye to. It's not just basketball. And they really should be forming a committee on college amateurism as a whole. But, that, I mean, they'll need something bigger than this to make that happen. I agree with every word you said. I think it's just the the tip of the iceberg, the the scratching of the surface. And this has been a a rough time for college athletics in general, Rav, because moving on to our second topic in the college corner, ESPN announced this week that they are abandoning the 24-hour College Hoops tip-off marathon for the 2017 season. A network rep cited programming difficulties for nixing the 24-hour slate of games which began in 2008 and I've got to tell you I'm eternally disappointed and sad about this and (laughs) it's the you know I it's my fault I'll go ahead and apologize for all college or apologize to all college hoops fans because I can't have anything nice and I I said on this (laughs) podcast that this was the number one thing I was looking forward to the most heading into the college basketball season a while back and so what is what do the basketball gods have to do? They have to go ahead and cancel the 24 hours of hoops marathon. So they just shit down your throat. They just rip my head off and shit down my neck. Um, <laughs> some guy, some guy named Josh Krulovitz, uh, an ESPN spokesperson, told the Sporting News uh, he stressed that ESPN will be introducing the gargantuan Phil Knight 80 tournament, which is a 16-team event from November 23rd through 26th. So it starts on Thanksgiving, honoring the 80th well, birthday of Phil Knight, um, as well as tele- <laughs> as well as televising more than 3,500 games this season on the network's cable channels and online streaming services. We will continue to innovate in new ways and may explore the return of the marathon concept in the future. Um, I hate this. This is terrible news. Um, in, in my mind, this is a big blow for college basketball as well. Um, you know, it's it came at the time of the year where people were, you know, were starting to 
maybe move on from baseball, you know, college football, regular season starting to wind down. And for people like me and you who love basketball, it was really the thing that people sunk their teeth into uh, to start the season. So um, I really hate it. And, you know, it's it's obviously it's bad for the smaller schools, too, who played the weird games at 3 a.m. and all that type of shit because, you know, that's exposure that now that they don't get. Um, it's exposure that those leagues don't get. And it's, um, you know, it's unfortunate for college basketball fans. Yeah, I have something. <clears throat> ESPN can tell us my flaccid cock on all their stupid internet channels if they want to. Um, <laughs> I'm more upset about this than I am about Jamel Hill getting suspended, which, just for the record, I'm 0% upset about that, so <laughs> it's not really saying much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's just like the whole point of ESPN is um, – at the root of ESPN, it's just to show sports, right? So this whole 24-hour thing, it's a gimmick that gets people to watch, and it's fun. What are they going to do? Like, I don't need to watch Sports Center the six five more times. Like, your big deal. I mean, it's not on the air anyway right now, anyway, uh, for one thing. But I don't need another hour of baseball tonight. By the way, I was over baseball in February, so I've been waiting a long time for this. And... We're gonna hit him. We're gonna blow it. I'm, I I love the fact that I can wake up at three o'clock in the morning and watch Delaware State play Hofstra, and there's always a guy on the team who's good, and there's a guy on the other team who's good, and one of them, their, their stories are always similar. Uh, was a big time prospect, got hurt or got into drugs, and landed at Del Delaware State, or was homeless, was really good at street ball, and he got into college, and they don't know what to do with him in the offense, so he just does whatever he wants. Those are like, that happens every game. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, guys like Jamil Warney, your guy from Stony Brook from a few weeks ago, you'll never see yeah. him. Same in March. And then they do this thing where, like, ESPN is losing viewership and they're losing, they're losing subscribers because people are cutting the cord and they're going to, you know, Hulu and the Amazon Fire Stick or whatever the hell people use these days. Um and the idea that you would – not that this is necessarily a staple. I, I get that it's not, but for a lot of people, it's just like me and you. But when you're struggling, you have to do things to gain attention. And the only attention that they're having is negative attention with the fact that they can't decide if they're on the social commentary side or they're putting up – or they're doing um, they're doing sports highlights. And they're, they're on the fence right now. And they got people trying to be activists, and they want to act like they're cool and hip, but then when people are activists, they freak the fuck out. You know, like you got to have a sense of normalcy in a bed at your roots. And I feel like at this point, they don't know what they are as a company. They're losing subscribers, and now they're starting to get rid of the things that made them ESPN, which is like the 24-hour marathon. They're getting rid of what Sports Center was. They're dumping, you know, they're dumping talent left and right. So it's like. I think they're, I'm not, they're not saying they're going to die. It's just a strange thing to do to me when you already have a bunch of negative press. Why create something else you're going to get pushback on? Is it too expensive to run? That's all I can think of. Uh, it's hard for me to to figure out, put my finger on what what the problem is with it. I mean, I get that you know a lot of people aren't watching the games that come on at 3 a.m., 5 a.m., whatever. But you could put. What else are they watching? Yeah, I mean, you could put 
I mean, I would argue you could put Duke and Carolina on at 3 in the morning, and outside of Duke and Carolina fans, nobody's going to stay up and watch that shit like they would if you played it at 8 o'clock, if you played it at, 8 o'clock at night. So, you know, I don't you're, – you're doing it – you were doing it anyway because it's a gimmick and because, like you said, the only other thing on that time of night is and even during the day really is infomercials, soap operas and reruns. So you're stealing that yeah. audience and you're making you're stealing the general audience that's watching T V at that time and then you're getting the people that love basketball like you and I to actually make a point to watch that stuff. So, you know, now you lose that, I guess they're probably gonna save some money on that, you know. But it's it's a sad time. And uh R. I. P. ESPN. Next, they're going to cut the Bracket Buster weekend. Moving on to our Players of the Week, Rav. This week, I'm going with a guy that I love, and I think that you love him as well. I'm, I have chosen Jason Chandler-Williams. White chocolate. Yes. Is a <laughs> white chocolate is a retired professional American basketball player who is a point guard in the NBA and played for 12 seasons. Jason White Chocolate Williams is a native of West Virginia, Mountain Mama. Williams played is. college ba- <laughs> Williams played college basketball for Marshall University for Billy D and then left with Billy D to transfer to the University of Florida where he played for a short time before getting drafted by the Sacramento Kings at number seven overall in the 1998 draft. During his time in the NBA, Williams also played for the Memphis Grizzlies and then the Miami Heat and finally the Orlando Magic. Uh, well, also also the Orlando Magic, not finally. Uh, due to his flashy style of play, Williams was given the nickname White Chocolate by a associate in public relations for the Sacramento Kings during his time there. He started all of Miami's playoff games in 2006 when they won the NBA championship, Williams' only NBA championship, and the Heat named Williams one of their top 25 players of all time in 2007. So I'm going to try to run through some of this stuff because he has a lot of really neat tidbits in here that that I'd love to share. So I'm going to try to be quick here. Uh, USA Today named Jason Williams the West Virginia Player of the Year in 1994, and future NFL All-Pro wide receiver Randy Moss was one of Jay Will's high school basketball teammates. Uh, In his college career, White Chocolate originally committed to play basketball for Providence, but instead chose to attend Marshall after Providence coach Rick Barnes left for Clemson. Wow. Uh, He made a – yeah – I did not know that. What a tangled web. Uh at Marshall he played for Billy he played for Billy Donovan from ninety four to ninety six. After redshirting his first season at Marshall he averaged thirteen and a half points, six and a half assists during his nineteen ninety five ninety six freshman year. When uh Billy Donovan accepted the head coaching job at Florida, he transferred, sat out the ninety six, ninety seven season by rule. Came the starting point guard during 97-98. He set a Florida Gators single-game record with 17 assists in December of 97 against Duquesne. Uh, he played 20 games during that season for Florida, 
He averaged 17 points, 6.7 assists, and 2.8 steals a game. And in February of 1998, Florida suspended him for the remainder of the season for marijuana use after two previous uh, suspensions for the same infraction. So, at the end of that (laughs) season, he he entered the draft, was taken seventh overall by the Kings. Um, He played on a Kings team with guys like Chris Webber, Vladi Divac, Peja Stoyakovic that turned into a playoff contender. He made the number 55 jersey popular among white guys. And it was <laughs> in, in his, listen to this. In his rookie year, his number 55 jersey was among the top five sellers in all of NBA players. Crazy. Good forward. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Um, trying to see if there's anything else interesting here I wanted to share about him. There's so much. You were ahead yeah, he did that. He was part of the big 13-player trade between the Heat and the Grizzlies back in the day. Uh, he did retire once. He re- he came out of retirement in the summer of 2008, signed with the Clippers. Um, or I'm sorry, he signed with the Clippers in the summer of 2008, but then retired on September 26 of 2008 before he ever played. Uh, and then he tried to make a comeback. In February of 2000, uh, or I'm sorry, in the year in the fall of 2009, with the Magic, uh, his form played for Stan Van Gundy, so on and so forth. Um, he finished his career with the Grizzlies in 2011. He officially announced his second retirement in April of 2011. So that's my guy this week, White Chocolate, and there's some great highlight tapes of him out there. I will definitely share some of that. Yeah, he also, uh, I think he snapped his Achilles playing in the big three this year. He did. He hurt his, uh, they said that it was his knee in the debut, first game. That's the remainder of the season. It was was just a tough, tough day for us. Uh, Mm -hmm. Shout out to White Chocolate. Should have two rings, but the refs fucked us over against the Lakers. Go refs. <laughs> um, Who's you got? So, uh, before before we do that, uh, I have a Joel Embiid update for you. I saw oh. this. I would love for you to share it. Okay, so he had twenty two and seven in fifteen minutes. Um, did you see <clears> what <throat> he? Did you see what he said to? Uh, yeah, after he got an and one. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, I want I want you to tell the audience what he said. Uh, so Joel B gets the ball in the paint, does his patented post-up, shoots it, gets fouled, banks it in, and says, they can't fucking guard me. <laughs> oh, I take back everything I said. I love the guy. But he did do it against yeah. my Nets. So. He's the best guy in the world. The 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 uh, Sixers also were on like a 29-5 to run at one point. It was incredible. They looked like they, looked like they were the best team in the East. Um, of course, Maybe they you are. know. You never know. All right, so my guy. I'm going to see what clues I can give you without giving it away immediately. Um, Ooh, he has okay. a uh, he has a three-wheeled motorcycle. I might have gave it away. Um, he was a 13-mile American in 2004. He was a 13-mile American in 2004. Okay. 
He played in the NBA um, from for basically 11 years. Played from 2004 through 2000. Actually played for eight years, 2004 through 2012. Um, was arguably the um, second best player on the 2009, 2009 Cavaliers playoff team. He averaged um, he averaged almost 14 points and played 42 minutes a game in the playoffs. Say that again, that last part. In the playoffs, he averaged uh, 14 points and played 42 minutes with alongside LeBron. Okay. Oh. Um, okay. Played in played college in the Northeast. Delonte West. Yep. Delonte West. <laughs> Tell me about Delonte. Right. So things I love about Delonte: tattoos, headband, left-handed. Check, check, check. <laughs> um, so he played uh, played college ball at St. Joe's for Phil Martelli. Um, him and Jameer Nelson probably had one of the best college backcourts we've ever seen. That team was undefeated mm-hmm. going into the tournament. And they lost like in the Elite Eight uh, of that year, which is typical. Um, um, sorry, they lost in the Elite Eight. I stand corrected. Um, they were 30 and two that year. In this, when he was a senior, he averaged uh, 19 and seven, shot 41 percent from three. Um, he went pro that year and was the 24th pick in the draft to the Celtics. So, um, mm-hmm. again, um, typical NBA role player. Uh, he could do a little bit of everything. Um, nothing that's going to really blow your mind. Um, he did. I mean, his second year, he started every game he played in. And by his fourth year in the league, I think people realized he was a role player. He saw his minutes and his, and his stats go down accordingly. Uh, Cleveland, his three years in Cleveland, he his first two years in Cleveland, he started every game he played in because uh, Seattle traded him uh, midway through the year. But that's because they didn't have anybody on the team. If you remember, those were those early LeBron teams where they got destroyed in the finals and you know, mm-hmm. LeBron Jordan out there with Eric Snow and Booby Gibson. Um, <laughs> Hell of a fun fact about yeah, fun fact about Delonte West. Um, in 2009, and this is my favorite bottom line on ESPN that I've ever read. It pops up, and I remember loving it immediately. Uh, senior year of high school for me, so it was a prime ESPN watching time. Um, so basically, in 2009, right before the season starts, he gets pulled over for a traffic violation while driving a Can-Am Spider, which is a three-year-old motorcycle. First of all, that's really fucking gay. You should drive a motorcycle or a car, buddy. But what they found... Everybody needs a Can-Am Roadster. What they found was um, he had a 9 millimeter pistol in his waistband, which is probably comfortable when oh driving God, a three-wheeler. Oh, my God, I remember this. Yeah. He had a Ruger, he had a Ruger strapped to his leg. And then he had a Remington 870 shotgun in a in a guitar case strapped around his back. <laughs> <laughs> Where is he going? He's like NBA player by day, international assassin by night. So yeah, best case scenario, he's an international spy. They just caught him on the way to kill somebody. Um, he was literally like a GTA character when you're pulling all the guns out of the wheel. That's what he looks like on the CNN <laughs> roadster. Um, oh, here's an AK-47 from underneath my jacket. So uh, he obviously pleaded guilty uh, to those charges, um, and he had to do uh, 
40 hours of community service and underwent psychological counseling. So he's been accused of having bipolar disorder, but he says he doesn't have that at all. He says he just has depression. And, um, you know, basically from what I get from that, he does a lot of drugs because he's depressed. But um, last two summers ago, this video went viral of him. It looked like he was panhandling in Maryland. And uh, he said that um, basically that wasn't true. He was trying to help somebody who was homeless. He was outside at night. Just He came out of his house to help the guy who was a paraplegic, and that's why he was barefoot and looked rough. But um, if you if you Google a picture, he just looks like he has stuff wrong with him. <laughs> He's falling hard is what you're saying. Yeah, I vividly remember him playing games and it looked like he had like an open sore on his mouth. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. He did but always he was, look rough. Dude, he was a blast to watch in college and I'll try to find some video of him and Jameer Nelson playing together. They used to just put it on. Uh, in college, it was, it was awesome. <clears throat> He's part of the reason why Phil Martelli will be immortalized on NCAA March Madness 2005 or something like that. Yeah, and the funny part, if I can find these highlights, I'm pretty sure that when he played at St. Joe's, he wore, like, the biggest undershirt ever. He did. <laughs> he did. Like, well, <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> I do remember that vividly as well. It's like down past his elbows. Like, how can you even shoot? Well, Rav, I think that's a wrap for episode number nine. Why don't you give them our social media information, and then we'll get out of here. Um, follow us on Twitter at Side to Side Pod. That is the number two. Um, if you uh, rate, comment on um, iTunes or Google Play, uh, that that always helps us move up the list. Um or don't. I don't fucking care. Um, yeah, uh, just make sure you find us on iTunes and give us a download. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk at you next week.